Hello and welcome to the Degressive Podcast, a podcast at the intersection of geek and countercultures. I'm Christophe Bruchansky, Belgian digital artist and philosophical author. Today I'm going to talk about international cuisine, global nationalism, unproblematic and oppressed identities. Pizza, sushi and curry restaurants are symbols of cosmopolitan lifestyle. Most of these international restaurants are owned by migrant families, sometimes for generations. They are a clever mix of tried and tested cultural references. Ganesh statues, plastic lucky cats and Venice paintings. Being an Italian, Japanese or Indian restaurant owner is a savoir-faire that is shared and transmitted within each migrant community. These families have shaped their own image based on what cultural reference works and doesn't for their small businesses. They have adapted family dishes and created utopian places out of their ordinary life. Distinct and appealing enough for customers to come back, these restaurants offer genuine cultural diversity. On the other hand, one could argue that pizza, sushi and curry have all become universally recognized dishes. They don't belong to any specific culture anymore. All the ceremonial, the fake bricks, wooden walls and printed paintings are social constructs. Whether in Paris, London or Madrid, servers at local and international restaurants might have accents and skin colors that fit mythological national themes. But the reality is very different both in their reference country and in restaurant kitchens. Paris brasseries will be out of business without cheap Indian and African labor hidden in their small basement kitchens. Cultural mythologies can imprison entire communities, making it impossible for their members to express and sometimes even do anything else than what cultural stereotypes dictate. Migrants can be forced to reproduce the same cliches and to pass them on to the next generation. Even if they are freely chosen, cultural identities can be of limited numbers and extremely codified, making diversity all relative. Outdated references and cultural cliches are part of what can be described as unproblematic cultural identities. Monodimensional, easily recognizable identities that are presented as natural, immutable, allant de soi to use a French idiom. Unproblematic national identities displayed in international restaurants are easy. They lead to superficial acceptance or rejection and allow all forms of stigmatization and instrumentalization. Don't get me wrong, we all enjoy reducing our own culture, making it easily accessible to foreigners. French people happily reduce their identity to baguettes and the Eiffel Tower. British people don't mind references to fish and chips and the Queen. And Belgian people take pride in their beer and tintin. It's important to not take ourselves too seriously to make our respective cultures accessible and play with stereotypes. The issue is when these simplifications become systematic and don't leave room for any nuance, any subculture. Populist movements not only oversimplify cultural identities, they prevent any new identity from emerging. Patriotism is reduced to unproblematic national identity anachronic characteristics that are mutable and unquestionable. Nationalism is in fact now globalized. 
Every patriot, whatever their location, is similarly proud of our nation, shares the same patriotic slogans on social media platforms, and believes in the same patriotic values. National flags, t-shirts, and sport caps are all produced in the same global factories, shipped in containers worldwide. It is as if globalization, instead of encouraging the emergence of new cultural references, compelled many citizens around the world to preserve their cultural identity through a reduction process. The hidden cost of this identity commodification is that unproblematic national identities are easy to manipulate. Diversity that is not constantly reinvented leads to fake choices and fake political leaders. Unquestioned nationalism is all smoke and mirrors, a set of superficial and convenient characteristics that hide much more powerful political, economical, and technological forces at play globally. Instead of maintaining these unproblematic national identities, citizens around the world should engage in their negotiation and reinvention. To come back to our international cuisine example, there will always be places for national dishes and utopic traditions. But more and more restaurant owners now dare to explore the variety of their cuisine, are proud of their diverse workforce, and are willing to reinvent their culinary traditions. Imagine what this could mean if translated to our global cross-cultural kitchen. Cultural identities are paradoxical. We can feel strongly about them, but if we don't question them and make them evolve, they will sooner or later be instrumentalized. Cultural differences will become mere illusions. Promoting cultural diversity should involve some cultural protection and conservation, especially regarding fading cultural heritage or persecuted cultural minorities. But it should also involve some creative destruction. People should equally be able to claim their identity and transform it, to look at their past history and invent a new future. We can see this dynamic at play with recent feminist, Black Lives Matter, and LGBTQ movements. These movements are as much about asserting oppressed identities, and I borrow here the concept of oppression from philosopher Paolo Freire, than to self-actualize and reinvent them. What does it mean today to be a woman, to be a black person, to be a member of the LGBTQ community? And this really should also be the patriotic question. What does it mean today to be French, American, Italian, or Japanese? To be meaningful and encourage true diversity, these questions should never be fully answered by any power, any institution, any leader. According to Paolo Freire, the easiest and often only available option for the oppressed to break the glass ceiling is not to free themselves from the oppressor, but to become one. Activists should resist the temptation of joining their circle, of dictating their own version of cultural diversity, one that is static and unquestionable. The risk is for the oppressed or cultural minority to get their identities commodified, to be proud of a codified national, gay, feminist or black identity, one that becomes harmless, or a system that perpetuates a dichotomy between the oppressed and oppressor. Identity politics and social media only amplify unproblematic ethnic, gender, sexual, and national identities. Lack of dialogue 
and unwillingness to reconsider respective cultural identities mean people really only have two options, either be oppressed or the oppressor. To break up this model, the oppressed must, quote, confront reality critically, simultaneously objectifying and acting upon the reality, end quote. The biggest challenge for the oppressed is not to be recognized, but to leave their oppressed identity behind, lead the way, reinvent themselves and the identity of their oppressors as well, so that both can think beyond what is a mutually destructive relationship. Jean-Luc Nancy once said, quote, Not only are all people different, but they are also all different from one another. End quote. A truly diverse society is a society in which there is no well-established cultural minority, no prefabricated cultural diversity. It is a society where ethnic, gender, sexual and cultural identities require a constant effort of imagination. That's it for cultural identities. If you've enjoyed these digressions, please like or subscribe, and feel free to share your own understanding of cultural diversity. Thank you, and see you soon!